0: You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Impact Partners. Discover how you can join us in a spirit-led movement to bring about human flourishing grounded in love, generosity, and belonging by visiting
1: ignitingimagination.org. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Igniting Imagination. I'm your host, Lisa Greenwood. This is the last episode of our season about holy friendships and we're ending with a rabbi and a pastor. I know, sounds like a joke, but instead it's this beautiful and powerful friendship that shows us what it means to come together across divides. Ilan Babchek is a roughly mid-career rabbi from the East Coast, and Kathy McShane is a retired ordained pastor from the West Coast. They have only ever been together in person a few times. And yet this is a friendship that runs deep and is rooted in mutuality, mutual trust, mutual respect, and mutual love. Ilan and Kathy have recently written a book together that comes out in January called Picking Up the Pieces, Leadership After Empire, about moving away from the pyramid model of leadership where power is centered around one person or a group of people and towards a shared power where every person can stretch toward the fullness of their God-given gifts, regardless of where they land on an organizational chart. Alon and Kathy embody this notion of distributed power through their friendship. So it's not a big leap to imagine how their friendship led to this particular creative work together, reimagining organizational power which brings me to one key takeaway about holy friendships. Holy friends are a blessing, not just to the people in the friendship, but also holy friendships ultimately bless the whole world. Before we listen, a final poem for our friendship series. It's called Red Brocade by Naomi Shihab Nye. In these few words... She draws us into a moment with tastes and textures that invite us to bridge divides and take time for holy friendships. May it be so, dear friends. Hear her words. The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is, where he's come from, where he's headed. That way he'll have strength enough to answer. Or by then you'll be such good friends you don't care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts, here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve water to your horse. No, I was not busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone put on to pretend they had a purpose in this world. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea." Beautiful. Now let's listen to my conversation with Ilan and Kathy. Welcome to Ilan Babchek and Kathy McShane. What a gift to have you both on our podcast today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Hi. Thanks, Lisa, for having us both. Absolutely. I'm so excited about this conversation. So one of our colleagues and friends, Matt Russell, talks about improbable friendships. And I wonder if that term resonates with the two of you. It certainly does from the outside looking in. <laughs> I, I mean, I think about Kathy, an ordained United Methodist minister from California, Elon, a rabbi from Rhode Island, and yet here you are um, on our season about holy friendships. And, and you've just finished a book together. So I want to kind of start in this place of improbable friendship. Like, does that sound right to you? And tell us a little bit about how your friendship came to be. Well, I'll just add to the list of improbabilities that you just mentioned. (laughs) Oh, please do. Um, I'm on
0: the west coast of the United States. Elon's on the far east coast of the United States. Uh, We're not only different in... uh, in uh, religious tradition, we we are different in generation. I'm a baby boomer. Elon is a millennial, although he calls himself a geriatric millennial. <laughs> 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 and uh, and this, we I'll let Elon tell you the story of how we met. But but we met once in person in 2018 and did not see each other in person again until we were just finishing our book in the spring of 2023 so our we are a kind of a pandemic yeah. cultivated friendship meaning that we've we've talked and met together and loved each other across uh across virtual in virtual backgrounds a long time, uh, and but only have met each other in person a very few times.
2: Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's the start of every terrible joke, like, you know, the, the, the rabbi, and the pastor walk into bars. And, <laughs> and, but I, I think what's, what's so, um, you know, maybe a, a unexpected, counterintuitive, or improbable here, to, to quote hmm. your reference, is we are of generations that are not supposed to get along. Right, um. it's stereotypically, boomers and millennials are like four-letter. You know, we're like curse yes. words to one another. <laughs> we're not supposed to get along. We're West Coasters aren't supposed to understand East Coasters. You know, we're fast-paced and they take things slow. And you know, and yet, and yet, we have we are so much uh, on the same page. We found ways to connect mm. across three thousand miles across ideological gaps across theological gaps and what what became so beautiful one of the greatest compliments and i really and I, and I mean this because when you when you write a book and you, a lot of people say things that you, you might you're not even sure they mean it but you're going to receive it <laughs> in, in in all of its earnestness but when somebody told me you know i read the book and i actually couldn't even distinguish your voice from kathy's voice mm. That was the greatest gift I could have received Mm -hmm. because Kathy's voice, I read her sermon before I met her in person and she wrote a sermon that changed my life. It was why I was at the gathering. It was um, a gathering that was facilitated by Ashoka, Mm -hmm. which is uh, an organization that kind of created the field of social entrepreneurship. And they were having a gathering of faith leaders who were thinking a lot about social entrepreneurship, about change-making in congregations, outside of congregations. And there I am sitting across from Kathy McShane, having read this sermon she wrote about change-making. And and it was like, you know, you're not supposed to meet your idols. And I did. <laughs> and it was like, it was a hundred times better.
1: <laughs> oh, nice.
2: And, and and really, it's been growing ever since. And um I I feel so deeply grateful for that comment when someone said, you know, it's funny. I couldn't tell where your voice ended and Kathy's began. I said, thank you.
0: I had a similar experience, Elon, recently where somebody told me about a part of the book they were sure you had written. And it was actually (laughs) it it was a part that I'd written. So, yes, that really was it's and it continues to be fun. Sometimes I can't tell now which parts I wrote and which parts you wrote.
2: It's <laughs> great.
1: Yeah. So I love hearing this and I love hearing the origins of just an immediate connection, a soul connection, a spirit connection. And so there's so much I want to pull on there, including I want to talk some more about the book. But before we get there, I, I want to pull on this thread of the Different religious traditions that you all come from and and are, are um, deeply committed to and 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 this notion of friendship and what have you learned from your tradition about friendship like what comes to mind?
2: I'll share uh, briefly. There's there's a model of friendship, but it, you know it, it's a deep form of friendship that involves learning. Together, it involves um, growing together. It involves t- growing through disagreement and, and, and sort of seeking a, a, a higher shared truth together. So in Jewish tradition, that, that form is a for, for friendship is called chavruta. It comes from the root chaber, which means friend. But mm-hmm. to have a chavruta in life, in study, in work, is is one of the greatest gifts that, that the rabbis of the Talmudic mm-hmm. tradition described. And they actually even have, there's a whole section of Talmud where they, you know, rabbis argue all the time in, in, in Talmud. There's 5,000 arguments and only 50 of them are actually uh, um, concluded, right? So only 1% <laughs> of the arguments are, are really about the conclusion. They're all about, the rest of them were codified so that we could learn how to disagree wow. how to be in relationship how to be in conversation nice. anyway one of those arguments is about how to say goodbye at the end of a learning session at the end of a mm. meeting you know they would sit knee to knee debating on matters that they really believed would determine the future right of jewish life of civilization of the relationship between God and humans. And there's one blessing that they, they sort of go back and forth. Well, you should say this blessing. You say this one, you say this one. And there's one blessing that um, as I looked back on it, it, it really was one that spoke to, Every time Kathy and I would get off a phone call or a Zoom call, or you know, we would have these working sessions where we're staring at a Google Doc together, and we would bid one another goodbye, and that it, it felt so much like those the ways that the rabbis would bless one another upon leaving. So that 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 model for me is um, is that we're blessed by one another, that we um, are committed to pursuing a higher truth, and that. That really, like, love, respect, honor is the foundation of every one of those conversations that we have.
0: Yeah, I would say something very similar about love, respect, and honor. Uh, You know, Elon is an easy person to love, respect, and honor, so we start with that. He's (laughs) also extraordinarily generous with, I think, just by nature and temperament with offering those things um, so I have the easiest person in the world to be a friend with here on in this conversation <laughs> but I I also think there is something extraordinary about this relationship and that we and that we saw very early you know I'm thinking about um, Anamkara the way that soul mm-hmm. friend that is deep in Christian tradition, and it is—I think of it as sort of a my soul or my heart leaning toward somebody else. I, you know, I have lots of people in my life and my ministry that I think of and call friend, but few people that uh, that it's just kind of it, it just kind of bubbles out right. It, that, that it's there all the time. I think early on in our connections with one another. And we worked together for a couple of years before we started the book. So even before we started the book, I think we'd finish a conversation and one or the other of us would send a text immediately afterwards saying, that was so great. Thank you so much. It was just so good to be together in that work or that conversation. And then, you know, this spring, as we were finishing the book, I went to Providence, Rhode Island, which I'd never been to before. And so that we could do a little writing retreat together. And I met Elon's family for the first time, his wife and his three children. And uh, as soon as I walked in their home, I felt like, oh, I know this place, right? It was just, it was, you know, it was reversed to the usual pattern, I think, of developing friendships, which is that you gather information about a person and then and, and that's on the way to becoming friends. Ours, I think, was
1: something different than that. Yeah, which really speaks to something deeper that brought you together. I mean, you talked about a soul connection. You know, I, I would use language of feels like the Holy Spirit. You know, there's this something deeper that brought you together than, than simply... You, you know, uh, you enjoy each other's company and then you discover, like you said, you take the next step and the next step and and then you a couple years down the road, you say, "Oh, yeah, we're good friends." Um, it sounds like it started out in this deeper place, which is one of the themes that keeps coming up for us in these in kind of holy friendships, if you will, is it feels like there's something more at work. Can you play with that a little bit? Does that resonate?
2: Yeah. Well, I'll just
1: give you an example. Oh, oh sorry.
2: No, 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 please go. Just come.
0: an example of this. When we, so the beginning of thinking about the book was literally, we were working on something else and it, we had, a, I I think we'd been talking about this idea of a particular character of leadership for change-making. And uh, one day on Zoom call, I think, maybe phone call, I said to Elon, I think there might be a book in this. What do you think? And he, like, that's all I said. And he went, yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Like, and um, <laughs> it was just such, and I think we both recognize it now, is such a ridiculously immediate response um, <laughs> that launched us into this. And so just completely spontaneous that it had to be something bigger than us at work, I think. So I, I agree with you, Lisa.
2: Yeah. There, nice. There's, you know, at, at a certain point, um, you know, I think there are certain relationships that one has in one's life, you know, where you're, you're almost like, you're looking for signs to prove the relationship. Like you're looking for signs. This is why I should be here. And Oh yeah, yeah. No, 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 Here's something that happened. And they did this nice thing. And that must mean that this is what this thing means. And, and it's almost like I, from the moment we met, I would have to look for signs to somehow disprove that this was not a preordained connection that the two mm. of us had, <laughs> that there isn't some greater yeah. force at work, some greater spirit at work here. You know, I think uh, Boober would say that, you know, the divine spark is kind of, be- is between it's what exists between yeah. two folks, yeah. in, you know, in, in an I thou kind of relationship. And, and that mm. spark has been, Just so life giving. It has been so life giving to have a uh, a friendship, a connection that is unquestionably, you know, I'm I'm using this word divinely ordained, uh, divinely inspired. And and I think the other piece of it is, again, you know, thinking through a Jewish lens, the greatest act of faith. You know, uh, I, I think there were there were really two. Let me put it this way: I think the two greatest acts of faith that I read about in in the old testament the first is miriam packing the timbrels hmm. right we don't read about her packing the timbrels. they're like I exodus okay everybody grab your yeah. stuff it's like you got 10 minutes 18 minutes hit the road you know just like go 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 we don't even have time for the bread to rise just go and they and they're off to the races and they finally make it across and next thing you know she and all of the mm-hmm. the other women are playing with their timbrels playing tambourine and they're yeah. dancing and they're singing because they knew wherever we're going, there's going to be a celebration to be had, you know? And the other act is the Israelites saying, v'nishma, they will, they are agreeing to do everything God is asking them to do. And then, v'nishma, and and then after we agree, then we'll know what the details are really all about, you know? Yeah. And I think, I, I think those two acts of faith are really emblematic. They're very much have inspired the way that Kathy and I relate to each other, um, Kathy, that, that first phone call, the, the, the phone call about the book was, I, I don't even think Kathy finished the sentence, you know, <laughs> in which she said, Hey, what do you think about writing a book? It was just like, yes, it was just not seven Shema. I'm in 100%. And I, I, it doesn't really matter how hard the road is going to be to get there, to write this book, mm-hmm. because I know there's going to be a celebration on the other end. I know there will be what to celebrate.
1: Okay, this is so good. And I want to I want to play with the hard part of this, right? So we're in a season in our culture where there's so much division and polarization and and one of the things that keeps coming up in this conversation about sanctifying friendship is is that we need to make holy friendships across divides, political, racial, religious, all of that. And they when the yes to that comes before the realities of that, um, once you get into the realities, in other words, we can talk about all day how important that is, but when you get into the realities of making friends across divides, one, it's hard because you you associate with the people that we all kind of associate with people that tend to be like us in all kinds of ways we can name. Um and so finding and cultivating those friendships across divides is one thing. And so I'm curious about your thoughts about that. But also curious how you, you know, really f- not just find but also develop and strengthen friendships across that are improbable, like that are across divides. And so let's play with that a little bit, yeah. And actually, I
0: have.
1: That's a perfect question for
0: us. You know, um, I've known and had friendships with Jewish people for a, a very long time, but I have rare. I really haven't had very many friendships with people who are as sort of uh, faithful and about their religious tradition as Elon is, and mm. in his practice and in his being. Right? he is. He's so deeply and to me, movingly immersed in his religious, his different religious tradition from mine. So just this last spring, again, after we'd known each other for a long time, Ilan went to Israel with his family. And it wasn't until he came, it was actually while he was gone that I thought, you know, I don't don't really know what Elon thinks about what politics in Israel. I've never asked him. It has never come up in our conversation. So when he came back, I said, I don't know what your politics are, but I, but I want to ask you about how you feel about this thing that was in the news that was going on in Israel. And, and he told me, and we had a full conversation about his thoughts and my thoughts. But, you know, at the point at which I even thought to ask, mm. it didn't matter. That different, right. wow! Right, I it, it was. Yeah. I would have heard any mm-hmm. response Elon gave as fully worthy of my respect and um, and appreciation because of the relationship that was there first.
1: So you've made me teary. <laughs> That's so that that sense of of beautiful grace that goes before the specifics, right? That sense of there is something that binds us together that transcends how we fall on whatever the issue is or whatever the divide. And I, I know it's not I know that it, it's not always that easy. Like I get that. Um but what does it mean to to come in with a yes before we even know the particulars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That this may feel like a hard shift, but I, I'm so curious to ask this question. It all sounds so beautiful. And I can't imagine you wrote a book without disagreeing or finding some places where you tried to tiptoe around eggshells or tried to navigate things together or speak truth. So can you speak to that? What did you learn about yourselves? What did you learn about each other in the midst of the process?
2: That's that's a great question. I So I'm going to give an answer here and um, and I do so in in complete faith that the history of the comments on all of our shared Google Talks will never become public. <laughs> but who knows? It's Google; they might just decide to let things fly one day. Um, uh, but it, no, in all in all seriousness, I I think um, we were we I think we came at it from a place of of deep respect and curiosity. And, and and I think what we both understood and this is also about you know coming together across divides means bringing your whole self into relationship mm. in order to experience and listen and witness even if it's just the partial truth of the other person's lived experiences and then sit with that partial truth and imagine huh what if that were my partial truth? what if what if the thing that I hold actually, if I held that a little more loosely, and 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 took this person's partial truth just a little more seriously, um, I, I think that's where that's where I often, you know, wh- where my failures come in to really hear someone across divides is when I'm coming in feeling like what I believe, who I am, how I show up is fully formed. It's it, it is you you can't poke holes in this thing. It is fully formed, and I'm and and this is what it is. Um, rather than recognizing that all of us are in formation, everything is a journey. My ideological holdings, my theological holdings—it's yes. like there's process theology. I'm I'm like process humanity. Everything <laughs> is in process. Everything now, you know, and the world is spinning faster than it's ever spun before. And so the divides actually—you know—the way it's just I'm not a physicist, but like centrifugal force. The, the way that the world is spinning as fast as it is means the centrifugal force is pulling us further and further and further apart. And those mm-hmm. gaps and divides are becoming even more mm. um, uh, spacious, more scary to try to leap across. And and so anytime we came to a point where, okay, I think it should go this direction or that direction, what I tried to do, and, and really, I think what I continue to try to do, and Kathy's my my teacher in addition to my chiburta here is to hold loosely what it is that I'm bringing into it. And maybe to even ask a deeper question, which is why am I bringing this into it? Why is it that I believe that this is the order of things or why is it that I believe that this is Mm. the framework we should use here? What am I, you know, what is the truth for me that I'm bringing it into this? Even if it's just a partial truth, what's my lived experience that I'm bringing into it. So that's a very, you know, long-winded circuitous, answer, but also um, I think very emblematic of the way that Kathy and I wrote and edited the book, which is I would go on those random tangents and then she would put a comment in that says hey, um, what if we cut out four of those paragraphs and you just said it the following way, and then inevitably she was right (laughs) because she she was much more eloquent, and that's what we ended up with. We'd have a 500-page book otherwise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'll just add two tiny stories to illustrate really what Ilan just said. One was when we first saw the book in the form it was gonna be published and it had, uh, at, so at the top of every left-hand page are our names, the author's names, and and my name was first. And it didn't have to be that way. So we had a conversation with the editor about this. and. And in that conversation, Elon said, "I don't know. Maybe you just said this to me. I, in my work, the woman's name always goes first, right? That's just the commitment that I have made to um, to resisting the powers of patriarchy in this in our culture. And actually, I, that was hard for me to receive, right? It's so." It's so uh, Elon-like generous, and it was—I it, I, I, it was hard for me to just take that as a mm. gift. I feel like I wanted to deserve that first mm. place if I was going to get it, and I didn't. And um, so that's that's one moment that I think I learned something from from Elon's stance in the world. I learned something about myself and about a way of being in the world. And I think that shifted something significant for me, that conversation. The other moment, and this is a reference to what Elon was just talking about, was the first, really one of the first moments when we started editing each other's first drafts. And honestly, there was a weekend that we had, I think it was our only, maybe our only real rub in the process where I edited something that Elon wrote, in me. and you know, uh, me, we're both writers by work <laughs> and nature. And like, how often does, do you have somebody else editing right. your writing? It just doesn't happen very often. And he came back and said, "Really? <laughs> Why did do you? Does it really?" <laughs> and because of that honor and respect and affection that we have for each other. We got past that moment. Mm. And then, but I never forgot it. And I too had to go through a process in which I realized and then just trusted that every change Elon made to my writing made it better. Mm. It doesn't, so we had to, I think along the way, at least with this partner, Right? I I learned to let go of that pride and identity of authorship that I've carried with me a long, long time. Right? So we were, the process, I, I think, has really
1: shifted something inside me permanently. To hear you all talk about the humility and the posture of learning, and I think about Parker Palmer's words when it gets rough turn to wonder like in other words okay what what do i have to learn here what why do i think it ought to be this way and and you know what is this other person's truth or wisdom that i need to hear i mean just that that kind of posture so it it reminds me actually about the content of the book and I've had the opportunity to to read it and it's beautiful and I can't wait for people to have it in their hands as they think about their own leadership because it the book is all about power and and how it can be seen decentered dis- distributed in a, in a in a new way in this day and, and for this season, and and particularly, I would say, in faith communities. I mean, we can talk broader, but that's certainly our audience and realm and and such. So, can you say a, a, a word about the book and, and what it's about? I want to give you an opportunity to do that, certainly. But also, um, I want to dig in a little bit to the dynamics of power and friendship, because I think you all have already spoken to that. Um, so... Tell us a little bit about the book, and then let's talk about Power and Friendships.
2: The, uh, well, I'll tell you uh, briefly about the book. So it's called Picking Up the Pieces, Leadership After Empire. And um, Kathy and I spent a lot of time, have spent a lot of time in the last five years, really thinking a lot about what makes the space for breakthrough ideas, for breakthrough courage, for breakthrough new leaders to, to step up and emerge? What? How do we set the table for the ideas and the people and the potential leaders and even the, the spirit of God that sits on the margins of our communities, of our societies, of our consciousness, and move them to the center? And, and as it turns out one of the key ingredients is well if you are quote-unquote the leader in an institution or a community you probably are sitting at the center which means there's not a whole ton of space there so we we think a lot about even though the the, the, the book is really about um, kind of walking away from hierarchical coercive models of leadership that really look a lot and are shaped a lot like the pyramids of of ancient Egypt.
1: Hence the empire.
2: That's the empire. And so
1: much more, but yes.
2: Exactly. (laughs) It's, it's really like if you were to, if you were to imagine that what we're really talking about is like theological geometry here. How, how can we reposition ourselves such that, you know, we have a different angle on what it means to elevate the holiness in our, in our community that to elevate the people around us, Different perspectives. And we do so by, by re-examining the story of Moses' uh, journey to leadership. We often think about Moses as sort of the, the um, ideal, quote-unquote, leader, the one who was born into it, who had the natural gifts and so on. But you know, Moses was really somebody who, who kind of spiraled his way forward and back through learning experiences, through making mistakes, through many failures. But the further away he got from the empire from the shadows of those pyramids, once he was able to break free from those shadows, his abilities started to emerge. And he started to see the Israelites in a different lens, through a different lens. He started to see his relationship to God in a different lens. And, you know, the Moses who leads them out of um, Egypt is not the same Moses who gives that final sermon um, on the footsteps of the promised land. And, And our hope, is that we can, can invite people to take a similar mm. journey through their own leadership life. Really, I think one of the, the, the best parts about our experience writing the book, and I, and I do believe about the reader's experience reading the book too, is going to be hearing about these six wonderful leaders who, who really live into what we call a form of mosaic leadership. And that's uh, Reverend Eugene Kim, Rabbi Sarah Luria, Rabbi Adam Klagfeld. Uh, Reverend Maurice Winley, Father Richard Springer, and uh, Diamond Harges. These are six outstanding, amazing people, each of whom deserves their own multi-volume series of books, let alone <laughs> right. a standalone book, let alone one chapter in our humble offering. Um, but it was life-changing to sit with and learn from uh, oh, yeah. each and every one of them. Yeah. And Kathy, I'll I'll leave it to you to Uh, I I think, Lisa, the question about where power shows up in relationship, I think, and friendship is really important. Kathy?
0: Yeah. Let's see. I'll start talking and see if I can get there. One of the things that we got clear on very early in this process, we thought we had this great idea about power sharing as a model um, for leadership. And and we realized very quickly, other people have been talking about this for a long time. We didn't make this up, right? And, And so... So it has been sort of a recurrent theme in leadership thought, both faith-filled, among faith-filled people and people totally in the secular arena for a long time. Um, But it has, it's a theory that has trouble sticking. One of the ways we talk about it in the book is that when organizations get stressed um, about profit or productivity or efficiency, they just snap right back into that yes. pyramid shape with one strong leader at the top who can just, who the organization thinks is going to lead them into whatever yeah. relief they they need. Um, so I, so it seems to us that what our society needs is a sustained experiment with this different model of leadership. Really something, and who better to do that than organizations that are not motivated by profit and that have a different sort of essential value proposition than for profit businesses in a capitalistic culture. So that's religious organizations. And what I think we hope for is that we'll encourage more religious organizations and, and faith and value based organizations to experiment with this way Mm. so that, um, so that we're adding value to what society needs in general in a, in Mm. a longer term way. I think it's a new value proposition for the church. If we can run this experiment long enough to learn something from it about how to be as leaders so one of the things that became very clear to me as we were writing and i think it's in the book as it as it finally got written, is that my life and leadership, even after I was conscious about wanting to lead in this way, is way more full of stories of failure than it is of success. Mm. Right? I, I think the personal stories that Elon and I put in the book, almost every one of them is saying, yeah, we got this vision, but it's hard. And and there are you know, a million holes to fall in because this old way of leading, you know, thinking that we have to have this power that we hold on to. It's, it's so deep inside of us, just like it was for Moses. And so there is a, there is a humility that is it for me, uh, I think even deeper inside of me than it was when we started, Mm. Uh, you know, and we talk about this, the promised land in the story of the Exodus and in our own experiences of wilderness, the promised land is always a goal. We never actually get there. And and maybe that's all it was ever supposed to be. It keeps us moving toward our ultimate values, but we never actually arrive. And, And that too, in kind of my spiritual life and in my relationships, my friendships, everything else that, the fact that I live in the wilderness and that is where I learn and that's where I get closer to being the being God might have created me to be, that's that's just
1: the reality. What I'm hearing you talk about is something that comes up for us all the time, I mean, over and over again, that it's about formation. Like, whether we're talking about the people of Israel in the wilderness who over those 40 years were formed into the people of God. You talk about Moses, he was a different leader and a different human being from that burning bush to that sermon, that message right before crossing into the promised land. He was a different leader and a different human. And I'm even hearing you all talk about just this process of writing together and this friendship. A couple of you have said, I'll never be the same. I mean, you've said a couple of times, I'll never be the same because of this or that. And and so you were formed and shaped. And so it makes me think that as we talk about power, in relationships and in friendships, it's always there. Like it's always a dynamic. Power is a dynamic in any relationship, in any organization. But you've talked about approaching with humility in a way that opens you up to how you are being formed. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. Yes
0: it's just, and maybe that is the connection to friendship, Lisa is that mm-hmm. that the
1: friendships form us form us yes, yes. Mm-hmm. so when we talk about sanctifying friendship we're we're not just talking about like blessing them, we're actually saying what happens in friendships is holy if we open ourselves up to the kind of yes, the kind of um, humility and learning, and um, allowing space for differences, and but deep commitment and love and honor and respect, then we will be formed. We will be formed a hundred percent of the time.
2: Yeah. It, uh, it, it, you know, I think we spend a, Kathy and I spent a fair amount of time together studying. You know, Moses's last sermon. Sure. And, you know, the book of Deuteronomy starts. And he, he knows he has five weeks left to live. Hmm. And he's been with the Israelites now for 39 years and 11 months. And he knows he's not going any farther. And he has an opportunity to look back and he has an opportunity to invite them to look ahead. And I, I think what is so remarkable about this is, you know, in our in, in our lives, we have very few stopping points where we are able to climb up high enough that we can have a little bit of perspective on where we've been and, and who we've been and how we've been in relationship to others. And, and what we still have a little bit of time left on this world. And, you know, I, all of this that we have every day that we have is a gift, it's it's just this, we're in this liminal space and this liminal time and every season is just a season, but to, to have had this opportunity to look back on our our own leadership lives and the many failures that have, that have come with it and to come out the other side of it, it, it with this incredible, incredibly deep friendship that has formed us. We have not formed the friendship. The friendship has formed us,
1: Nice
2: um, has been just a remarkable, a really remarkable gift. And it's, and it's, it's not the kind of gift that we, at least in, in, in my life and in the, with the pace of things as they are, that kind of vantage point on where I've come from and where I hope to go uh, to be able to, to do that looking, you know, with Mm -hmm. a, with a partner and a teacher and a mentor and a beloved friend has been a once in a lifetime gift.
1: So uh, we could keep talking forever, and I um, I really would love to dig into each one of those stories of these six amazing, beautiful leaders that you've lifted up, um, but... We're going to draw a (laughs) close. So um, we're asking all of our guests a final question. And um, I I feel like this has actually been the topic of the whole time together, but we're going to invite you to just distill it down. So, um, and complete the sentence, you know you're in a holy friendship when? I know I'm in a holy friendship
0: when I feel in every interaction like i am so gifted by this person's presence in my life mm-hmm. and what i want for him is only good right I, I that um and so i think as i hear myself say that i think those are the same things that i think sound like love mm-hmm. right? yeah um so it is an enactment and an evidence in my life of mm-hmm. great love.
2: Is, if I just say ditto, is that a cop-out? Are you, <laughs> you're going to make me come up with something. I, how am I going to follow that? I know. I know. <laughs> well, first I will say ditto 100%. Ditto. <laughs> that is really what it feels like. I know I'm in a holy friendship. When it feels like nostalgia, while it's happening, like when, when mm-hmm. I get nostalgic for the conversations that Kathy and I are having as we're having them mm-hmm. for, the, for the future we're building, for the book we're writing, for the things we're imagining, the programs we're running, I, I get nostalgic for them as they are happening. Meaning to mm-hmm. say that I am both deeply in the moment and experiencing every word as the revelation that it is and also keenly aware that this moment is just such a precious liminal moment and I can't wait to relive it someday and look back on this precious, incredible um, fleeting one conversation that we had that actually led to another one and actually led to another one. And actually, uh, you know, Jewish tradition we're taught that there's six things they ask you about in heaven. And just one of them is about how you engaged in learning with, with a beloved and um, and the way it's phrased is, you know, did you learn one thing from another thing and, and another thing from that thing and another thing from that thing? And, and that's what allows, I think, what, what keeps me feeling s- so keenly aware that what's happening in the moment is deeply precious and it's going to lead to another thing and another thing and another thing. Okay. And just watching that unfold in real time is, is like witnessing the eighth day of creation happening every time we talk
1: well i can say that this time with you two has felt like holy ground it really has and i am um, so grateful for your time and for being here and the conversation and the book that you've written and uh and your friendship i'm grateful thank you
2: thank you so thank much you, Lisa.
1: thank you thank you
0: thank you
2: <laughs> thank you kathy <laughs>
0: Igniting Imagination is a production of the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Impact Partners with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Follow us on social media at Wesleyan Impact Partners, visit our website at ignitingimagination.org and share our episodes with friends and colleagues. Our hope is that these conversations can spark imagination in your context. I'm Blair Thompson. On behalf of all of us at Wesleyan Impact Partners, thanks for listening.